God, we're thankful. And just like the song says, Lord, we don't really have anything to offer. God, you gave everything for us. And so, Lord, in return, we just we want to give our lives back to you, to honor you, to glorify you, to, to be more like you, to know your love and, and to love others the same. And, and so, Jesus, we just ask this morning that you would help us do that, that we would step into that even just just a little bit more, that we would be so grateful for you and what you've done. And in response, in an act of worship, as we offer you our lives, would you just open our ears and, and our minds and our hearts this morning to hear your word and to just know you a little bit more. Amen. Yeah. But before we jump into the sermon, I want to like kind of talk about camp because you guys took the time to like support and pray uh, and send me and we sent our kids and our teens. Um, and I think it's important for you guys to like know how it went and what God was up to so that we can be praying for next year and all of the time in between. And so we just finished camp like I came home a week ago yesterday and we did a week at kids camp. So kids age 7 to 11, and then we did a week of teen camp, so 12 to 18. Um, I direct kids camp, and then I just serve at teen camp. And, and kids camp was, I would say, powerful. I think it was eye-opening to me to remember that, like, these kids can and should learn the truth now, and they get it. Like, we taught them that God made people with a purpose. We talked about Genesis, how we're created in God's image how Jesus invited people to follow him and that they can trust uh, Jesus with their life. Uh, we talked about loving others the way that Jesus loves us and how that like practically breaks down and applies at their own age level. Um, and the fact that like God can help them change the world around them. Our theme for the week was like making waves. Um, and all of the cabin leaders would say like by the end of the week, their campers understood what it meant to make waves with God for God. And I think that that's really exciting. And <laughs> we got to build on that and keep praying into and believing in that. The teen camp week was also interesting. We had a great speaker. Um, at first I was like, oh man, how is he going to get this all done? But he had like felt God was telling him that he was going to lead them through like the overarching story of the whole Bible in a week. And I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> like you only have five chapels. <laughs> like we're not even doing morning and night. Like it's like Monday night, Tuesday night, all the way to Friday night and that's it. Um, and so Monday was literally just like Genesis 1 to 3 and I was like, okay, <laughs> it's good Lord, we trust you, right? Like, but you have to understand how it was meant to be before you can understand how broken it is and then understand why Jesus came. And so they got that. Like we, we then spent time like looking at all of Genesis the second night. I was like, man, we're two nights in and we're only done the first book. Um, and then the Old Testament and switching over to the New Testament. And it was, it was kind of this, like this is the story and this is God's story, but your story is a part of it. And whether or not you let him write your story out for you and with you is your choice. And so the ending, right, like if you've read the Bible cover to cover, if not, that's okay. There's lots of, you know, opportunity. 
I encourage you to do that. But like the beginning talks about how it was supposed to be, and the, the last three chapters talk about how it will be and how it will be restored and how our story can fit into that. And by Friday night, like it came together. Like Monday, I was like a little shook. <laughs> and then Friday, I was just like overwhelmed by God's grace and faithfulness. And so as you were praying, like it mattered to our speaker. It mattered to our students. It made a difference in an impact because we had like a move of the spirit and we had teens respond and we had, you know, one of the leaders asked like, what do you have to lose? Like Jesus is offering you everything. What do you have to lose? Um, and it was just a powerful response. And so as I reflect over the two weeks, I'm challenged in my own self, like, did I let God move in me and speak to me and, and train me up and, and fill me. And, and I came home, and it was kind of a weird week. It's a little weird getting back to reality when you haven't cooked for two weeks, and then you forget that you have to feed your family, and, and then, you know, your child's like, I'm hungry, and you're like, that makes sense. So, but, truthfully, like, I am so excited for next year already. And we had 40 kids at kids camp and 60 teens at teen camp, and that's only 100 lives, but that is a hundred lives that were like impacted with the gospel and had seeds planted and some of them have been watered and some of them are growing and we don't know because we're playing the long game, but our goal is to like be able to facilitate and increase that number. So maybe next year it's 110 or 125 because we want to build on what God's doing and he's using Chub Lake. And so if you're around like the first full week or the second full week of July next year, and you're like, huh, I wonder if I could serve, I encourage you, like, put it in your calendar now. Come and talk to me now. Uh, we want to be planning now for what God is going to do. And we want to be praying for them in the meantime that God would continue to, like, speak to them, that those kids that didn't have a church or a youth group uh, would get connected, and that their parents would see the value in sourcing that out throughout the year. And so thank you <laughs> for allowing me to take off for two weeks and be really tired and <laughs> a little crazy and invest in camp ministry um, because that's an extension of you. We are a family and a body and a local church, and so it's not just me. It's also you. I think that's it. That's all I had to say about that. Um, but... Let's, let's switch gears. Uh, we're going to pray, and then we're going to read the scripture, and then we're going to talk about it. All right? Cool. God, we just thank you that uh, as we've been journeying through Acts, Lord, you've been showing us how the Holy Spirit gives us the power to change. And God, as we just look at your word today, would you just help us to continue to see that, to be challenged by that, to be encouraged by that. And God, would your Holy Spirit just be here now in us and through us, glorified for your name. Amen. Okay, so Acts 18, if you've got your Bible handy and you want to go there or scroll there or click there, uh, starting in verse 24, Acts 18, 24, it says this. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. 
he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. So for the past like two months, because July is basically over, uh, we have been working our way through the book of Acts. We've been looking at how the Holy Spirit partners with us and provides us as Christ followers the power to change. And Acts was written by Luke, who is also the author of the Gospel of Luke. And he not only like tracks the, the history and the birth of the church, but he also really highlights like two main themes. The first is that the Holy Spirit is at work, and the second is living as a witness for Christ, okay? And we see that throughout Acts, these things are deeply interconnected. Like, we cannot be our most effective witness for Jesus without the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit has it work in us, uh, we can't actually help but be a witness for Jesus. See that? See how it's meshed and it's messy? This morning, I want to look at and consider how the Holy Spirit uses our character more than our competency or our charisma for the sake of the gospel. How many of you have, like, ever worked somewhere you were qualified to be, right? Like, sometimes we go to a job and we're, like, completely unqualified, and other times we've, like, done the training or we've got the skills, and we're, like, seriously qualified to be there. That's fine. That's a good thing. You should know. Um, in my first life, I spent just shy of 10 years in banking. And I would say for the most part, like, I was competent in, like, retail banking matters from, like, a basic account info to mortgages and investments. Like, I could offer advice, problem solve. Um, and even when I didn't know the answer, I knew where or how to find it. I learned lots of these things in stages, some by passive experience, others by like intentional training and studying. Um, and I also had a manager who was like really good at wanting to coach his staff uh, and help us identify our own blind spots so that we could continue to grow and improve. And because of this, I believe that I was like providing quality customer service uh, and I had the metrics to support that and I was qualified to be there. Now, I'm pretty sure you've all experienced the opposite too, where you've gone and shopped somewhere or ha had a customer service experience uh, where you were maybe more qualified than the staff. And I'm not saying this is like an arrogance thing, right? Like, it's just sometimes we all are on a different path and we know different things. And these kind of situations can really go one of two ways. The first scenario looks something like this. Shopping in the aisles of a store that I will not name, uh, and you're approached by a customer service agent wearing the classic orange apron with their name written in marker, okay? Are you tracking with me? Okay, so 
You explain your project. You know the exact part or piece you're looking for. The exact part or piece. And the next thing you know, you're in aisle 90 buying a plug for your bathtub when you came in for a lighting need because you were tired of arguing with the guy and you just wanted to go home, right? Like, this is one of those experiences. But the second goes something like this. This time you're in the airport and you approach the counter and the, the clerk is wearing the classic blue, black, and teal tie around their neck. You've been where they've been. You've flown this route so many times. Uh, and for some reason, there's a glitch in your booking. It happens. You're trying to figure out why. No one can get you any answers. You missed your flight, but they've made sure to compensate you and get you on the next flight out. And although you're disappointed, you can't help but appreciate like the level of effort, right? So in one situation, we have someone who like knows nothing and is convinced they've got it figured out. And in the second situation, we have someone who still knows nothing, but is willing to just like be with you, work with you through it, uh, and try their best and be genuine about their like shortcomings. See, the text tells us Apollos was several things. It says he was of Jewish descent. He was a native of Alexandria. That meant he was from Egypt, okay? So Christianity had now made its way down to Egypt. He was a learned man. So not only did he have a formal education growing up, but he actually came from like the most learned city in the Greco-Roman world at that time. So like this guy was like highly educated. And on top of that, he was trained to know and understand the Old Testament scriptures. He was well-spoken. He caught the attention of many people as he spoke in the synagogues. And he was passionate. It says he spoke with fervor and boldness. And honestly, I think if he was like here walking the earth with us today, he'd kind of be one of those guys who's like having no issues being an influencer on social media. Right? Like, he's got a following. He's created, like, this group of people that want to know what he has to say. He was an excellent Bible teacher, but more than that, more than his competency or his charismatic personality, his character actually stands out in this passage. See, we're called to know the Word. <laughs> we are. Like, if, if you don't know your Bible, like, you're called to know your Bible, and there's no shame or guilt, but, like, read your Bible. It's a gift to you. It's a letter for you. And it's pretty hard to know how to follow Jesus if you never spend time getting to know how he lived uh, and what's important to him. And the same goes for being an effective communicator. Like, we all prefer to learn and hear from someone who is engaging and can keep our attention. And I, like, say that from here being like, Lord, I hope I'm engaging and keeping their attention. But like these two things were strengths of his and not weaknesses in his ministry. And yet we see that even though this incredibly educated man was like doing a good work for the kingdom, he still had more to learn. The Bible says in verse 26 that when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explain the way of God to him more adequately. See, Apollos could have argued that he knew what he was talking about, right? 
He could have declined the invitation. They're just a couple of tent makers. But he was excited about the gospel of Jesus. And instead of his accomplishments making him arrogant or trying to sell you something you don't need, the Holy Spirit that was like empowering him, that was making him bold and giving him the ability to preach with fervor, produced in him an attitude that was teachable. His character was greater than his qualifications. And I would actually argue that his character was what qualified him above anything else. Now, none of us can earn our own salvation. I'm not saying that. The Bible is very clear about that. However, we're often called by God before we are qualified, or even when we are qualified, not because of what we can do for him, but because we are in a position where we're allowing him to use us and mold us. Our heart for Jesus matters, and your character matters. 2 Corinthians 3.5 says, Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything is coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. And Galatians 5.22, the kids downstairs have been going through the fruit of the Spirit for like a couple months now, says this, right? Like it's the fruit is the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I think when you take that fruit and you start to shake it up and you mix it up and you kind of see it all come together, we realize that those things are the basis for so many other God-honoring attitudes in our lives, right? Like teachability isn't listed as a fruit, but I don't know that you could be teachable if you weren't patient or gentle or had self-control. And so Apollos comes to Ephesus and he's preaching and teaching in the synagogues and it's going well. And he's approached by a couple who identify like some gaps in his theology and he postures himself to be a learner. The chapter ends telling us that when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. Listen, you don't just vouch for someone you don't respect or trust, right? Like if they wanted to just get rid of this guy, there were other ways to do that. And they probably would have done so quietly and discreetly. Like, yeah, we don't really know him. He's not with us. Like, eh. <laughs> but instead, they're like saying, no, no, no. Like, you want him with you. When he gets there, open your arms, open your homes, welcome him in, let him speak, let him teach. Like, God is using him. And this, again, is just evidence of the type of character that the Holy Spirit was building in him. And it finally says, when he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scripture that Jesus was the Messiah. Like, he used his knowledge, but he also used his upbringing, right? Like, he identified as a Jew. He understood the traditions and the teachings and the expectations that they thought or anticipated, and yet he also knew that in contrast to, like, the true gospel of Jesus and how Jesus fulfilled the call of being the Messiah, and he was able to take those two things and use it to advance the kingdom. We'd call it apologetics, right? Like, when people are asking us big questions, are we able to answer them? And you don't have to have all the answers to all the questions, but you should have some of the answers to the questions that are 
pertinent to the culture or the people around you. Questions that you guys were faced with growing up are probably different than questions that the youth are dealing with now, right? And so who is in your circle of influence? Don't worry about having all the answers. Just know which ones matter most to the people that you are called to witness to. If you go on and read in 1 Corinthians, you'll see that he was effective. He's mentioned there uh, quite a bit that he had a large following. And again, it's not because he was charismatic or qualified, but he was confident in the call of God on his life more than he was confident in his own abilities. And I think that's just really important to highlight. At teen camp, we talked about... um, the passage in Second Timothy, like, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, right? And, and how we have this opportunity, whether we're young, like me, or young like my parents, or young like my son, we're all just young. We're all not, not finished our faith journey. We're all learning. And yet we can set an example But Timothy is called to set an example not for the unbelievers in that passage. He's called to set an example for the believers in that passage. To, like, stir each other up. To not be afraid to, like, learn more and grow and, like, challenge each other, right? And yet I think sometimes we're afraid to do that because we're like, well, like, maybe they'll think I'm a hypocrite because I was doing this one way last week and now I feel convicted and challenged and I'm changing and I'm growing and I'm committing to follow Jesus differently in this area of my life this week. But we've got to give grace to one another and not be afraid to do that, to set an example for one another here in this building so that we can go out and then do it out there. Because it should be easier here, right? Like this should be the safest place to learn and grow and figure it out so that we can go out and be an effective witness. There's like a second set of characters in this passage as well. And I just want to spend some time talking about them too. We see Priscilla and Aquila. And um, what happens is they met Paul previously, okay? And they, they travel with Paul. And Paul comes to Ephesus, and not actually for his major mission time there. The first time Paul thought he was going to go to Asia, the Holy Spirit like shut doors and he didn't go. And then the second time he comes, it's very, very brief. Literally long enough for, like, his friends to just settle there. And then he says, if God brings me back, I'll be here. And Paul moves on to the next place. But Priscilla and Aquila, they stay. And they they get connected, and and they're building the kingdom, and they're building the church there. And, And they see this young guy come in. Maybe he wasn't young. But they see him come in, and they, and they see his gifting, and they see his gaps. And they do it so well. They bring him into their home. They invite him into relationship quietly. They never publicly humiliate or shame him, right? They don't point out his failings and flaws to everyone. They just begin to, like, mentor him and teach him and help him grow And it's kind of like that manager that I had when I was at the bank. Like, if I messed up, 
he would always have my back on the front line. He's like, okay, yeah, this is how we do it. And then he'd pull me aside later and be like, hey, Tiff, <laughs> just so you know, next time, like, this would be the best route. This would be the, the way you want to learn or the way you want to do that or the questions you should ask. And when we honor people and help them grow that way, it builds trust. And it teaches them that, like, it's okay to be teachable. It's okay to be a learner. It's okay to be appropriate. It's okay that you don't have it all figured out yet, right? Opposed to just, like, coming at them and attacking them and canceling them or defaming them or whatever it is. Just shutting them out. I think about my own life and the people that have come alongside me in my faith journey who sometimes are like, you almost had it. Like, that was good. <laughs> right? And, he, and here they are. They're just a couple of tent makers who have opened up their home. And what they have to do is they have to be confident in their own call. Because this guy was highly educated, right? He was super charismatic. People wanted to hear him talk. And yet they knew the gospel message so well that they were confident in identifying gaps, and they could do so in a way that was God-honoring. I think sometimes we're like, well, that doesn't really sound right, but I don't know if I should be the one to, like, ask questions or call them out. Listen, if you are spending time in the Word and if you are spending time in prayer and with the Holy Spirit and something doesn't sound right, there's, like, a gut check moment for you. Like, you are the person to ask questions and to get clarity and to even maybe be the one teaching or correcting in that situation. We hold each other accountable. And you also see their willingness to be exactly where God called them. Right? Like, they're with Paul. And I imagine if I had been, like, doing ministry alongside Paul, it would be a fairly, like, exciting and thrilling time. A little crazy, like people are trying to get rid of you, you're going to jail, there's a lot of like opposition, but you know you're making progress for the kingdom. Like it's easy to get like enamored in like the kind of like excitement of what that would be like. And yet they're faithful to say like, this is when we were supposed to be together, this is where God's calling us to now, and they let Paul go where he's called to be. They don't chase God's call for Paul's life, they're obedient to God's call on their own life. And because they're obedient to that own call, they're exactly where they need to be in order to help Apollos, right, in order to build him up. I think that God brings people through our path for a reason and a season, not because it rhymes and it's, you know, tweetable, but like legitimately there are students in my life that I have met for a season that I'm grateful our paths have crossed. And sometimes people move on, and you're just grateful for the season you've had together. Think about this own church and the transition it's seen in the last six months, right? Everyone being obedient to the call of God on their own lives allows this local body to change and grow and continue in the steps that God has for this church. And so I just have like a few closing questions. We're not going to, like, sing any songs after or, or do anything crazy today. Just some things to, like, reflect on 
throughout the week and allow God to speak to you about. And the first question is this. Are you teachable? Like, when was the last time somebody approached you and called something out and you thanked them? Is the Holy Spirit showing that fruit in your life? Are you teachable? Teachability requires a level of humility. The second is this. Is the Holy Spirit free to tear down and rebuild your character to reflect that of Jesus? Like it's a lifelong process. Being a disciple means being a lifelong learner and a lifelong follower of Jesus. And so usually it's not tearing it all down at one time. It's different things in different seasons. So that over time we grow, over time we mature. Or are you just relying on your own skills and abilities to reach the lost? And finally... Who is in your life that you can invite into your home, that you can mentor, that you can love on, that you can build relationship with so that they accept the truth that you speak to them? And who is mentoring you? Because there's always someone who's gone before you, and there's always someone coming after you, and we don't actually outgrow the need for that. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are building your church. God, I thank you that you want to continue to teach us to be more like you, Jesus, throughout our entire lifetime. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that even now as we reflect on these questions, you would just show us in our own hearts and minds, in our own lives, the areas where we have the opportunity to grow, to hand things over to you so that you're making our character more like yours. God, help us not to rely on our own skills and knowledge and abilities although you've given those to us and it's a good thing to build and hone them in but god that we would just be reliant on you that we would be full of boldness and confident in our call because we know where you've called us to help us to open our homes and our hearts and our lives to people around us and help us to say yes when people invite us in god We love you, and we're so grateful for all that you've done for us. And we just ask that you would bless this local church this week as they continue to pursue you with passion. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, church, it's a long weekend. It's smoking hot in here. You are dismissed. God bless you.